0: Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to email us and let us know what God is currently doing in your life. Or if you'd like to support the ministry financially, you can do so here on our website. Right now you're about to listen to a message from our current series. Thanks for tuning in today. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. You know, we've been in this wonderful book for quite some time, or uh, always pointing to it anyway, because in the book of Ephesians we have what we know as the spiritual armor of God. And God gave us spiritual armor for a specific purpose. Let's read, first of all, the um, book of Ephesians, uh, verse 6, out of the Amplified. Uh, chapter 6, verse 10. Paul writes, in conclusion, or he simply said, I'm about to close this letter. So um, I just want you to focus on the very last words that I, I, I'm, I'm teaching you today. He says, Be strong. In the Lord, be empowered through your union with Him. Draw your strength from Him, that strength which His boundless might provides. Then put on God's whole armor. He says, the armor of a heavy armed soldier, which God supplies that you may be able successfully to stand up against all the strategies and the deceits of the devil." The moment that you came out of your mother's womb, somebody slapped you on the behind. And the battle hasn't ceased from then on until now. Amen. And Paul talks about this warfare. The entire book of Ephesians, listen, addresses the relational side of life, listen, and the spiritual warfare that is within those relationships. The devil hates a united family. The devil hates a united nation. And he hates a united church. Can I have an amen? Because when you're united... The fullness, the full power of God is being manifested in your life. So you have to understand that Um, the spiritual warfare is real in relationships. And we need to recognize what the Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And uh, Paul said in the church of Corinth, he says the weapons of our warfare, say "our our warfare. He says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. Hallelujah. Then Paul goes on here in Ephesians and says this, verse 12. For we're not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies, against the evil rulers of the unseen world, against those mighty satanic beings and great evil princes of darkness who rule this world, and against huge numbers of wicked spirits in the spirit world. And how do we compete with such adversaries? We do it through the armor of God that God provides here in Ephesians. Now, the first record that we have of a relationship battle or spiritual encounter of warfare was between Cain and Abel. And we have talked about them many times. And, and we're going to... Just touch on that for a moment this morning. But that was the first encounter that we have. And again, the only way that they were going to resolve this attack was by submitting themselves to God's word and carrying out God's word by faith. I told you this years ago. I had a gentleman file bankruptcy against me. We had sold our business trucking company to a um, a, a born-again spirit-filled believer. And uh, he had the business one year, and he liked to hunt and fish. That's all he liked to do. And he ran the business under the ground, and I had signed at the bank uh, a loan for him. I was the first signer, so I was responsible to pay that back. And um, it took seven years for me to pay that back. And it was no fun task, but uh, I was driving down the road one day, and, and I was just mauling this in my mind, and, and uh, God spoke to me very clearly. He says, you forgive him. And so I did. But I had to do it by faith. I said I had to do it by faith because my feelings uh, wanted to send him to the place of the unknown. No, I mean, was, yeah. uh, I wanted to send you know, I wanted you know, I wanted him to get what he, you know, uh, you know, what he deserved, but God really dealt in my heart and so I had to do it by faith, say by faith. So everything we do in life, it really is by faith. It's you go to the Word of God, you find out what the Word of God says, and then you obey it by faith. So the resolve of that battle that Cain and Abel were in was found in the spiritual armor of God. All right, look at verse 13, therefore... Put on God's complete armor that you may be able to resist and stand your ground in the evil day of danger. And having done all the crisis demands, to stand firmly in your place. What do you mean to stand firm? To stand firmly in your place of what God has required of you in His Word. He goes on. Stand therefore, hold your ground, no retreating, no, no retreating back to your old way of thinking, your old way of speaking, and your old way of living. Don't, don't go there, don't retreat. Stand your ground. Hold your ground, having tightened the belt of truth around your loins, and having put on the breastplate of integrity and of moral rectitude and right standing with God. What is moral rectitude? I, I looked this up in, in, the, um, in, the, in the Greek, and the moral rectitude is this. It's the ability to pursue and judge the circumstances of life with the heart of God and with the mind of God. That is what moral rectitude is. you remember what Jesus said in the book of Luke? He says, why do you call me Lord? Why do you call me your master? And then you don't do what I say. Amen. James says it's the doers of the word that benefit from God's word. Not, uh, I mean, Jesus said, not, not here is only. You got you to obey the word. James says faith without works is dead. So there's a responsibility on our part to read the word of God and then to carry it out in our lives. Verse 15. Having shod your feet in preparation to face the enemy with the firm-footed stability, the promptness, and the readiness produced by the good news of the gospel of peace. What is the good news of the gospel of peace? Again, we're tying this into the relational side of life. What is the good news of the gospel of peace? The good news is God is loving. God is kind. God is merciful. God is patient or long-suffering. God is compassionate. God is understanding. Come on, everyone. And, and he is that way in our lives on a daily basis. So this is what he's referring to here, the gospel of peace, and, 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 which is required on our part regarding our relationships. I mean, we can never say to somebody, I hope you get what you deserve, because when you say that, that comes back in your life. Because God never thinks that in his mind. He never thinks, I hope you get what you deserve. So we have to think with the mind of God and not with our carnal thinking. Can I have an amen to that? Um, in, in Genesis, the fourth uh, chapter, verse 7, in, it, it says that, you know, God's coming to Adam to talk to him about the uh, problem that he's having. Uh, and we know that, uh, not Adam, Cain, uh, Cain, and we know that Cain had a problem in the arena of the love life. He, and we know that from First John, uh, the third chapter he's mentioned there. And so God comes to him and he talks to him and says, now Cain, uh, let me talk to you for a minute. He says, Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? He, he said, Cain, now, if you will treat your brother like I've treated you, everything's gonna be okay. That's exactly what he's saying. But we know that Cain didn't listen to God. Listen what he did. Cain exalted his own will above God's will. That's what sin is. Sin is exalting your will above God's will. And so when he did that, the Bible says he took his brother out into the field and he killed him. The book of James says that if you have if you have embittered hatred in your heart, it's like you've murdered your brother. And so everything about life is relational. Amen. That's one thing. You know, I love riding motorcycle. I mean, that's. Uh, I really don't. You know, I don't have a lot of uh, hobbies, but I really enjoy that. And um, uh, my motorcycle never gives me any problems. It never. If I take off, really, you know, I like. I like. I just love power, you know, and if I take off real fast, it, it, just, it just performs the way it's supposed to. But how many great relationships aren't that way? Amen. The old saying, you know, you can put your dog in the trunk, take him down the road four miles and get him out. He'll jump up and down on you and lick your face. Try that with your wife. I'm just, <laughs> I don't know. I'll go on from here. I don't know where to go from there. Amen. So, though Adam had the power, because God would never require, listen to me, God would never require something from you that he didn't provide for you the power to do it. But instead of, instead of by faith, exalting God's will above his own, he did just the reverse, and it brought the curse into his life. Verse 15. Having shod... Uh, No, verse 16, lift up over all the covering shield of saving faith upon which you can quench all the flaming missiles of the wicked one. I want to read the message Bible. It says, be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get. Every weapon God has issued so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be standing on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation, they're more than mere words. Learn how to apply them. There's the key. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word, I love this, is an indispensable. That word means it's an absolutely necessary weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Prayer hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. Prayer is essential. We'll mention that here in a few minutes. At the end, verse 17 of the King James says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which, which is the Word of God. Uh, look at how they're both connected. They're both connected together, meaning the helmet of salvation or the sword of the Spirit go hand in hand. You cannot The helmet of salvation cannot work effectively without the sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit cannot work effectively without the helmet of salvation. You got to have them both on. How many agree that when when attacks come into your life, I'll just tell you, when attacks come into your life, you know, uh, your mind begins to race. Come on, everyone. Your mind begins to race and just racing, 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 running, 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 and somebody has to steward that. Somebody has to stop and say, this is enough. Stop it, mind, and that is you. It's your spirit. Can I have an amen? Remember we talked about man as a three-dimensional creature? Three-dimensional means you're a spirit being, When God breathed into Adam, out of this lifeless body, he breathed into his spirit nature, so he became alive spiritually. Man is a spirit being. He has a soul, which is made up of his mind, will, and emotions, and he lives in an earth suit. And your soul is where the battlefield of all warfare originates. The soul of man is where Satan attacks your life. It's through your thought life. And when you meditate long enough on something, it drops into your heart. And the Bible says in Proverbs 6 that your spirit is a manufacturing center, and it will, it will bring forth that which is good or that which is not good. It all depends what you put in there. So this is why it's so important we talked about last week about renewing your mind verse, uh, the Amplified says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which the, which the Bible says, the Spirit wails, which is the Word of God. Now the word wails there in the dictionary means to exercise power, authority, influence, as in governing, ruling, and having dominion. And let me say this, you are no match for the, for the uh, you are no match for the demons that are operating in the realm of the Spirit. On the other hand, the demons are no match for the Spirit of God who is in you and the Word of God who is coming through you. Can I have an amen? I, I, I grabbed this guy. I think it's very interesting. I actually cut my hand with this thing one day. It is so sharp. And so I would like to use somebody for a demonstration. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> but that is a sword. Can you imagine the four arms on these guys? I mean, I mean, if you lift this thing, it's very, very heavy. But this is what they used in combat. And brandy ducked. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I just love. Vicky got this for me. I don't know where you got it for me one day, but wow. I haven't used it yet, but it's an amazing weapon. <laughs> no, exactly right. But I wanted to show that to you because of the fact that when you quote the Word of God, that is exactly what's coming against... That's exactly what the devil sees coming against him. It's the sword of the Spirit. For him, it's very painful. If it wasn't, he wouldn't retreat. He wouldn't back up. It's an offensive weapon. It, you, you know, you're using it as you're going ahead. So every time you quote the word of God, you're piercing darkness. You're actually piercing the enemy, hallelujah, so that he's retreating in your life instead of advancing. Can I have an amen? amen. Go uh, to Genesis, the second chapter. We're going to go to Genesis three, 2 and 3 here and, um, and just share a couple of things and then we'll, we'll close for today. In Genesis, the third chapter, we see again... The first encounter of spiritual warfare in the life of um, uh, God's creation. And um, Genesis 2, verse 8, it just kind of tells us what God did with man. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. This is Genesis 2, verse 8. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight... And good for food. Now watch this. And the tree, of the, light, the tree of life also in the midst or the center of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, somebody said years ago, he said, it wasn't the apple that brought the curse into this world. It was the pear on the ground. <laughs> the pear on the ground. I know. I don't know. I know. I didn't, I didn't think that up. But it came from someone else. Verse 15. And the Lord God took man... And put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Just let me say this. Before God uh, provided the family for Adam, he gave him a job. Amen. He gave him a job. And it was to dress the garden and to keep it. The word dress in the Hebrew means to work it, till it, and enslave it. It Means it wasn't going to produce on its own. Okay? The word keep means to hedge about as with thorns, to guard, protect, take heed to self, Keeper of self, to preserve, and then the word watchman. So he was responsible over God's garden. Now, Adam's greatest enemy was not the tempter. It was the temptation. I just want you to know that. I might put so many people talk about the devil, what the devil's doing. It, the devil is a defeated foe. So it's not the tempter that's your greatest enemy. It's the temptation. The temptation to exalt his individual will above God's, as we shared earlier. And that kind of attitude, listen, that kind of attitude is birthed within the heart that is slowly moving away from God. Cain only did what he did. Because in time, he slowly began to move away from God. In fact, the word King James is a beautiful phrase that says, in the process of time. In the process of time, he began to move the post. And believe that he could operate in strife with his brother and still reap the blessings of God. You can't do that. I, 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 I live, I, mean, I try to live, and I mean this, I mean, for, for my own sake, I try to live a repent of, a repent of life. Uh, always judging my heart, always judging my attitude, I, because it is so critical in regards to what the heart's gonna produce. To hedge about as with thorns means there's an enemy. You better guard your heart. Proverbs 4 says, Solomon's wisdom to his son, he said this, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart for they, that's my words, bring life to those who find them and healing of their whole body, to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Now, turn, now look at Genesis 3, verse 1. Just read a couple verses there because we're, we're dealing with this first, this first attack on the human race uh, from the tempter. And in Genesis 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree. And again, no, God didn't say that. In fact, in Genesis 2, verse 16... Um, Uh, It says, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. See, I always remember this. Satan, in fact, he did it with Jesus. He actually quoted the word. Satan will tell you a half-truth, which is a whole lie, to try to distract you from the truth of God's word unto something that you think you need. The whole garden was his. I mean, multiple masses of every kind of thing you can think of a fruit. I love going to Hy-Vee and going to uh, their fruit corner. I went, we went there the other night, and we brought some grapes. I swear they came from Eden. They are about this big. And when you bite into them, it's like biting into an apple. It's this crunchy and the most sweetest, delicious fruit. Hey, man. See, he was subtle. And he said to the woman, let's go on. Yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. No, he didn't say that. And the woman said unto the servant, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. She's quoting the word. All right. But of the tree of the, which is in the midst or the center of the garden, God hath said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it. Well, he didn't say that. She just added that. Lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. Another half-truth. Why? Because they didn't die physically, but they died spiritually. All right? They, spiritual death means separation from God. So he, she, he deceived her with a lie or half-truth. But of the fruit, uh, verse, uh, you shall not die. In, in verse 5, for God knows that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. You shall be as God's knowing good and evil. All they knew is good. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave her husband with her, and he did eat. The word desire there is very interesting. She said she saw the tree that it was a desire. The, The word desire there, excuse me, in the Hebrew means a longing for satisfaction. It means to covet, and it means to lust for. The word lust... Means to to long for that which is forbidden. So there are some things that are forbidden. A longing for that which is forbidden. They were not they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but the devil deceived them to thinking that that God was withholding something from them uh, from them in their lives. Yet they had everything. How would you agree that in America we have everything? We do. We have everything. I mean, there's not a nation except for Israel that is blessed like America. And yet, it's amazing how we covet after things because that's the human nature. It's in the DNA of the Adamic nature to covet things when you got everything. I mean, when you got God, you got everything. Now, I got to—I thought about that in the Philippines and, and um, when we went over there years ago and, and preached the word. That's just one nation of many nations where people literally don't, uh, they just have enough, barely a cover over their. I mean, some of them live in metal roofed, uh, you know, um, straw, I mean, houses. I mean, it's it, it, dirt floors. And, and they got food on the table, but you, you can't imagine how much the, many of them love Jesus. And they're, and they're, and they're satisfied with what they have because they have Christ, and that's the most important thing in their lives. Can I have an amen? So that is the problem with the Adamic nature. It's to desire things that we don't need. <laughs> if Adam would have had the helm of salvation on and would have wailed at the the sword of the spirit in his hand, the devil would have fleed. But we know that he didn't do that. He yielded to the temptation. Verse 6. The Bible says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree would be desired to make one wise, she took up the fruit thereof and did eat and gave it to her husband. He ate, and the eyes of them were both opened, and they were discovered that the glory of God had left their lives, and they were naked. They were stripped from God's presence. Luke, the fourth chapter, we got to wind this up. In Luke, the fourth chapter, we see... Now, we saw now that the first Adam fell, to, fell into temptation, and when he compromised God's word, the second Adam, or not, not the second Adam, the last Adam, Jesus, we'll see here in Luke 4 what he did in the midst of, of uh, temptation. And Luke 4, verse 1 of the Amplified says, Then Jesus, full of and controlled by the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led in or by the Holy Spirit for, for forty days in the wilderness where he was tempted, tried, and tested exceedingly by the devil. So, in his temptation, Jesus is tempted with the exact same three things that Adam, first Adam, was tempted with. And those, first, those three things are actually listed in 1 John 2, which I'm going to read right now, okay? I want you to see this. uh, John said, Do not love or cherish the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That word love is agape. If you value the things of this world more than you value your relationship with God, you're in trouble with God. For all that is in the world, watch this, the lust of the flesh, the craving for sensual gratification, the lust of the eyes, greedy longings of the mind, and the pride of life... Assurance in one's own resources or in the stability of earthly things, these do not come from the Father, but are from the world itself. And the world passes away and disappears, and with it, the forbidden cravings or the passionate desires or the lust of it. But he he who does the will of God and carries out his purposes in life abides and remains forever." So you, these are the three areas to which all temptation comes through. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And back here in, in, in Genesis 3, 6, we see it. I want to read it for you. It says, Genesis 3, verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's the lust of the eyes. And the Bible says, and that it was pleasant to the eyes. That, uh, that's the word first is the lust of the flesh. This is the lust of the eyes. And... Um, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, that's the pride of life. So those are the three areas to which all temptation comes through. Can, can, raise your hand if anybody can relate to any of these three. All of us. It's amazing how that, when you're a Christian, well, I've seen it through the years, and it's such a tragedy. When you're a Christian and God begins to use you, for some reason, we get into pride thinking that, we, that we're something. When all the while, it's just a miracle that God can use any of us. And therefore, it isn't pride, but it's humility that we subject ourselves to and recognize that he alone is the one who does great things within his people. Amen. So you can see here the three of these areas. And Jesus was tempted in the same way. Luke 4, verse 2. Then Jesus, full of and controlled by the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit uh, for during the 40 years he was tempted to try We read that. And he ate nothing during these days. And when they were completed, he was hungry. Then the devil said to him, watch this, if you're the son of God, order this stone to turn into bread, to a loaf of bread. That's the lust of the flesh. How many believe that Jesus could have turned uh, s- stones into bread? How many believe he could have? Absolutely. He was God. He could have. He could have done that. But see, if he would have done that, it would have shown the devil that he's, he was, he's exalting his individual will or his hunger above God's. And you can have as much of this world's, you know, goods and feed and feed and feed and feed and feed on it. And sure, I mean, it, you may even get to a point where that is more satisfying to you than the word of God. But you're being deceived. And so you see here that Jesus was tempted with the lust of the flesh. Let's go on. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live and be sustained by bread alone, but by every word and expression of God. Then the devil took him up to a high mountain, showed him all the kings of the habitable world, habitable world in a moment of a time, in the twinkling of an eye. And he said to him, to you I will give all this power and authority and their glory. I like the amplified, All their magnificence, all their excellence, their preeminence, their dignity and grace. For it has been turned over to me. Where did he get it? He got it from Adam. He got it from Adam. I always remember this. God, the earth belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. It says in the book of Psalms, I believe. The earth belongs to God, but the world belongs to the devil. The way everything's structured in this, in this world belongs to the devil. He's the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4. 4. Okay? So he's tempting him with the lust of the eyes. So look look, you can have all this. He already had it. I said he already had it, but but it was a true temptation because he was 100% man, and and so the temptation was true, but see, what was he doing? He was enduring so that you and I could have it, amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but we're going to reign, we're going to reign at least for a 1,000 years on this side of heaven, amen. I'm excited about that. So he says, how did he overcome? He spoke the word of God. The two-edged sword came out of his mouth. It is written. Let's go on. Therefore, if you uh, will do homage to and worship me just once, it shall be all yours. There's the lust of the eyes. And Jesus replied, get behind me, Satan, it is written. Again, he spoke the word of God. You shall do homage and worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and set him on a high gable of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, cast yourself down from here. Notice here, he, he quotes the word. For it is written, he will give his angels charge over you to guard and watch over you closely and carefully. That's in Psalms 8, I believe. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus replied, It is written, or the Amplified says, The Scripture says, He quoted Deuteronomy 6.16. You shall not tempt or try or test uh, exceedingly the Lord your God. And when the devil had ended every complete cycle of temptation, he temporarily left him. That is, he stood far off from him until another opportunity or favorable time. So, in all three temptations... Jesus took the sheath, the sword out of his sheath and began to wail that sword against the enemy. And every time he quoted the word, the enemy stepped back. Amen. It is written. See, that's how we prevail. That's why the devil wants to keep all of us ignorant of God's word. Because listen, you will only, only what you put in will come out of you. Amen. But he overcame it is written, empowered him to remain steadfast to God's will. It is written, kept his natural needs and desires in check. Amen. In Mark 11, I'll just quote this. Mark 11, verse 22 says, have faith in God. The English, the, the, the English modern translation says, trust in the faithfulness of God. Is that beautiful? Trust in the faithfulness of God. For verily I say unto all of you, whoever says unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sheaves. See and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things he said shall come to pass. He will have whatever he says. What things so ever you desire, verse 24. What things so ever you desire when you pray, believe you receive them, you shall have them. But you surely won't have them if your confession doesn't line up with God's word. Say it as written. Say that's how we overcome in this life. Amen. God's word is the two-edged sword. Uh, piercing. Piercing darkness, praise God, so that you can have everything God called you to have. Just another scripture, Hebrews 4.12. For the word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, which is your soul, and the immortal spirit. And of joints and marrow, of the deepest parts of our nature, exposing, sifting, analyzing, and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. See, listen, the greatest gift you and I have from God, one of the greatest gifts we have, is conviction. It's to be able to read the Word of God and and, and you receive conviction of heart. Conviction is simply God exposing in you the things that need to be taken out so that you can become more Christ-like in your life. Conviction is a gift from God. If it wasn't for conviction, we could never repent for anything in our lives. Say this out loud. God of heaven, I ask you... To increase the conviction of your spirit in my life. Remember what the Lord said to me years ago? He said, the conviction to do right must become stronger than the temptation to do wrong. Well, how does it become stronger? By you meditating in God's word. By you allowing the word of God to take root inside of you. Praise God. So that all of a sudden, instead of the carnality of your life coming out, the nature of God comes out of your life. Can I have an amen? Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning services at 10 o'clock. We also have what we call School of the Bible on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.